Well, obviously, I'm in a different location this weekend. I'm actually not present on any of the campuses this weekend. Uh, I'm privileged, along with Jamie and Chris and Stacy Hatchett, to be resource couples at a retreat for ministers and their families that are in different uh, stages of distress, uh, going through hard seasons, and it's such an honor to be with them, and I'm thankful to my leaders uh, and my staff for uh, encouraging me to be a part of such an important ministry. But I did not want to break up the mist series because I feel very strongly about the things God has laid on my heart for us today. I'm in downtown Fort Worth, as you can probably tell, and I think it's a great place for the setting and the text we're going to look at today. We've heard from Moses and Solomon. Uh, We've heard from Jesus, and we want to hear from James, the brother of Jesus, uh, this weekend. So you might be turning to the fourth chapter. You'll be reading with me in a moment. Uh, You may have heard about this funeral home in South Carolina, and the director decided to put a coffee shop inside the funeral home, and he had a contest in the community to come up with names for the coffee shop. Uh, Here were the two that were the finalists. The second place choice was Still Above Grounds Cafe, and if you think that's bad, the winner was Time to Meet Your Mocha. Those puns are worse than mine. And the reason he said he wanted to put a coffee shop inside a funeral home was, as he put it, to help the mourners get their minds off what's going on. Well, actually, the Bible doesn't counsel thinking less about the reality of death. It counsels thinking more. So throughout this series, I've been giving you this visual of a tombstone. And there are three things on it. The first is the date that we're born. We had no say about that. The second is the date that we die, and we will have a little say about that. But in between those two dates, there's this dash. And Scripture is constantly urging us to align our priorities in view of the fact that that dash is short. That the uncertainty of tomorrow should have a certain impact on how we're spending today. And that's what I think James really emphasizes. And it's interesting to me that he particularly speaks to people in the marketplace, to men and women in the world of business. Because I think business has a special propensity for causing us to get distracted from the brevity of life. Listen to his counsel in chapter 4. We're starting in verse 13. Now, listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. And all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and does it, do it, it is sin for them. Now, earlier in the book of James, he describes two kinds of wisdom. He says there's the wisdom that is earthly and there's the wisdom, God's wisdom, that is from above. And I don't think there's anywhere where the wisdom of the world is more evident than in the way the marketplace operates. Notice the verbs James uses. Go, 
spend a year, carry on business, make money. And it's all grounded in the assumption that we can dictate the future by the power of the will. Now, does that remind you of anybody? Do you remember the story Jesus told about the successful businessman who had to tear down his barns because he needed more storage for all his stuff? And he just announced what the future was going to look like. I'm just going to eat and drink and be merry because I've got stuff laid up for many years. But Jesus said, you're a fool. Because what he missed in his projected forecast was the reality that he's just missed. James says, you don't even know What's going to happen tomorrow? You are a mist. Now, isn't that true that we have these life plans? We're going to go down the road and we're constantly having to take exit ramps we didn't plan on. That we're living our lives constantly encountering detours that we didn't plan for. Uh, just out this window, I can see this beautiful building called the Tower. 14 years ago, it was called the Bank One Building. And people were there. They were making their plans. They were working their jobs. They were making money. And no one that went to work about 14 years ago this time of the year knew that a tornado was coming. And that before the day was over, that building would be a disaster. Life refuses to be managed by mist. Now, James says, if you think that you can control the future, you're going to become an arrogant and boastful person. And the marketplace can enhance or increase that attitude. So James says, you better tone it down a little bit. So here's my advice. Stay grounded by keeping mist in the forecast. We have these designs for our dash that James says gets very close to the line called arrogant. And instead, we're grass, we're dust, we're vapor, we're shadow, we're mist. And our frailty should produce in us a kind of humility. If I was going to put in my words what I think James is saying, I'd write this. Your life is like the early morning fog. You cannot even guarantee tomorrow, much less next year. So you ought to consider God's will as you make your plans. And you better be ready to make some adjustments because you don't own the future, but you know who does. And so what I think James is suggesting is that we let our lives be guided by an awareness of our mistiness. And here are three thoughts I want to share with you that I think will keep us humble. First, we just need to be guided by the sovereignty of God. Now, I don't think that James is condemning or criticizing foresight. Uh, If you're in the marketplace, you ought to be making astute projections as you study the trends of your particular career. Uh, Even the Bible says in Proverbs 21.5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Remember, it was... Uh, not raining when Noah started building the ark. It's not wrong to have a savings account. It's not wrong to start putting aside money for your children's college. It's not wrong to have an insurance policy or to plan for your retirement. But while you make your plans, you need to humbly acknowledge the future does not recognize you or me as its master. 
There are contingencies ahead for all of us that we cannot order. Only God can make fixed plans. Because think about this. Only God is a completely and wholly independent being. I'm not. My life is constantly being affected by things I can't control, that I depend on. Uh, My life is being affected by health issues I can't control. My life is affected by economic issues in the marketplace that I can't control. Uh, My life is affected by relational realities because I basically learned the world does not recognize my sovereignty and doesn't bow to my whims and will. So I'm constantly having to make adjustments and detours in my life. Only God, who is completely independent, can announce the future and not have to wonder if it's going to come to fruition. And that's why James says, if it is the Lord's will, ought to constantly be on our tongues. Now, what does he mean, if God wills? You know, a lot of people use that kind of like in Jesus' name. It's just a cliche. But what I think James is saying is, you need to live your life with a kind of an orientation, a kind of an attitude that is willing without griping. And by the way, that's important, so I'm going to say that again. You need to live your life with this attitude that is willing without griping to adjust to new and unanticipated possibilities. Let me just show you how Paul lived this way. So he's in Corinth in Acts 18. He's about to leave and the people want him to stay. And he says, verse 21, that as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And then later in his... uh, first epistle to the Corinthian church, he writes and says, chapter 16, verse 7, I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, notice, if the Lord permits. He wrote to the Roman church in the first chapter and he said, one of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. Now here's an apostle of God on the mission of God, but he's constantly aware of his surrender to the timing and the will of God. In other words, when he says, if God's will, he's asking for God to accomplish his agenda. He's not basically saying, God, here's my agenda, and if you don't mind, I just assume you not bother it. Because true wisdom... And humility grants to God the permission to change our plans. And so uh, you've had the experience of being in the car and the traffic's kind of crazy and you turn on the radio and you get the traffic report. And you get the word that there may be problems ahead and you need to take a different route. You need to go a way that you weren't planning originally to go. And why do you surrender to that report? Because it's coming from a higher view. It's coming from above, and it can see things that you can't see. And that's what James is counseling. I like the way it reads in Proverbs 16, 9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And that's good news. Uh, Because for one thing, uh, 
We don't have all that many steps to take. So we hope God is determining them. Because, again, I'm going to keep coming back to it. Another thought that guides us into humility as we live out our dash is just the recognition of the brevity of life. We're just fog. And fog doesn't have the foggiest idea if it's going to be around tomorrow or not. By the way, this is not just a New Testament concept. Uh, look at Proverbs 27.1. Don't brag about tomorrow. Since you don't know what the day will bring. That's what James is confronting. He's not saying it's wrong to be in the marketplace. He's not saying it's wrong to have plans. He says it's wrong to think that you can order the future. That you think you're guaranteed anything but right now. And so look again at verse 14. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. Your life is like a mist. You can see it for a short time, but then it goes away. See, here's the reality. Cemeteries are full of people who had awesome plans for tomorrow. Uh, The well-known Christian uh, author Leonard Sweet tells a story of a woman that came to him one time, and and she told this story that she was at her brother-in-law's house, and they were in the bedroom, and her brother-in-law opened the bottom drawer of her sister's bureau. And he pulled out this immaculately wrapped package in tissue. And he carefully unwrapped it. And inside was an exquisite slip. Uh, It was handmade silk bordered with lace. The price tag was still on it and it was very expensive. And he showed it to his sister-in-law and he said, this is not a slip. This is lingerie. He said, Jan bought this eight or nine years ago on our first trip to New York. And she never wore it. She said she was going to save it for a special occasion. Well, I guess that's today. And he carried the slip over to the bed and he put it beside the other clothes they were going to take to the mortuary. And suddenly he slammed that door and he turned to his sister-in-law, and he said, don't ever save anything for a special occasion. Every day you're alive is a special occasion. You know, all the biblical metaphors, dust, grass, vapor, smoke, shadow, mist, they're all warning against seeing life as an entitlement. Especially in Western culture, we think we deserve more time and we get angry when it's cut short. But the Bible says life is not an entitlement. Life is a daily mercy. Every day that we can wake up and get out of bed is a gift. A gift we didn't deserve. A gift to be embraced. A gift to be enjoyed. And here's The reality is that when we start understanding that life is a limited resource, I think we'll actually start enjoying it more because it'll make some things clear. Uh, For example, I got a great email this week from Laura Waldron, one of our members, and she's driving her daughter, Sydney, who's 12, to school. Now, it was Monday. It was opening day, and in the car, they're listening to the 
Radio announcers talk about how excited they are for opening day, the first day of the ranger season. And so Sydney, bemoaning the fact that she should have to go to school instead of be at the game, says to her mother, I think you should just drive right past school and we should just go to the ballpark. And her mother, being, of course, mature and wise, extolled the virtue of education and learning, to which young Sydney replied, I'm just living my dash right. Well, at least she's listening, and I think she's on to something. See, you can't add years to your life. You can't add life to your years. And actually, instead of this crazy illusion that we can control the future, which only produces worry and stress and arrogance, we would actually enjoy life more if we would give up the notion that we can control it. And if we would just embrace each day for its challenges and its blessings. The Bible doesn't say number your years. The Bible says teach us to number our days. Count your days. Because that way you're more likely to do things every day that really count. Because here's the thing. Most people don't waste life by what they're doing. They waste life by what they never get around to doing. And that leads right into the last thing I think James wants to teach us. And that is that as missed, we need to be guided by the thought of what I'm calling the opportunity of now. We can't plan for the future. But we can live right now. I think that's why this last verse in the paragraph uh, is mentioned. Look at verse 17 again. I never quite understood how it fit, but I think now maybe I do. Remember, he says, It is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Now, I've seen that verse lifted out of context for all kinds of purposes. But why is it fit into this context? I think what James is saying is, you're so obsessed about next year and what you're going to do then and what you're going to do there, and you're missing the moment of right now. There is good to do today that you're not doing because you're obsessing about tomorrow. The Bible is constantly urging us to live in the moment and do the good we can do right now. Like Galatians 6.10, whenever we have the opportunity... We should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Because isn't it true that life is what's happening while we're busy making plans? I heard a great story about General MacArthur from World War II. Uh, he had to get troops across a certain river, and he went to his engineers and said, How long will it take uh, to build a bridge to get over that river? They said it would take three days to build it. He said, well, start drawing up the plans. So he came back in three days. He said, well, have you finished the plans? And they said, well, no. We built the bridge. You could use it. But if you want the plans, that's going to take longer. Here's the truth. Yesterday is a canceled note. Tomorrow, a promissory note. Today is all the time capital we have to spend. And I'll say it again. You really do have time to do everything God wants you 
to do. I think what James is trying to do is to help us recognize the value of the moment. You know, I know what people mean. I hear all the time people use the phrase, well, God really showed up. You know, God really showed up in church today. Well, God really showed up here. or God really showed up there. And, and I get that, that there are just times when you feel a special anointing or empowering or manifest presence of God. But really think about that. Well, where was God all the other times? God's not lost. God's not gone. See, I think a more biblical perspective is that every moment is bathed with the presence of God. If we have the eyes and the ears to sense Him. And I believe if we could grasp that, we would be much more hospitable to just the daily interruptions of life. Because there are going to be exit ramps and detours that you didn't see coming. I'm amazed at how calmly Jesus seemed to handle interruptions. Constantly someone was coming up for an encounter that wasn't planned, needing something that wasn't scheduled. And it would frustrate the disciples, but it never seemed to frustrate Jesus. He lived so in tune with the inner whispers of the Spirit that instead of seeing these interruptions as getting in the way of my work, he saw those interruptions as a part of his work. And so he didn't live frenzied and he didn't live frustrated. Truth is, he didn't live long. But he did everything God wanted him to do. And my guess is some of us, because we've bought into this wisdom of the world, are living so frenzied and so harried And we're letting all our issues about tomorrow rob us of the joy we could be having today. I still agree with the psalmist who said, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every moment we get to live is a sheer gift of grace. And what we receive as a gift, we should be willing to share as a gift. And so I would just ask you to be more gracious to the detours and the exits and the interruptions of life because God is in them. And there's joy you're missing today because you think your plan for tomorrow is getting frustrated. And I want to say especially to you, my brothers and sisters that live constantly in the marketplace, where, by the way, you should be. It's an awesome mission field. But be careful of the subtle pressure to lean into a paradigm that promotes worry and anxiety and frustration and arrogance. Um... William Willimon, a great theologian, he wrote this book called uh, What's Right About the Church. And in it, he tells a story of teaching a Sunday school class one day to a bunch of young families about the temptations of Jesus. And after he taught, he said, well, what are we tempted by today? 
You know, never forget what young, one young father said. He said, I'll tell you a temptation. It's getting called in before your boss like I was last week and being told, man, we think a lot of you, young man. We think you have a great future with our company and we want to expand your territory. To which the young man said, I don't know if I want more territory. I'm away from home four nights a week now and I've got a wife and I've got a, a new baby girl. And the boss said, son, we're thinking about your family. Think about how much more money you can make. It doesn't take much money now with a little baby, but when she grows up, it's going to take a lot. Think about her. Think about her future. And the young man said, now, that's temptation. And it is. And so I want to say to all of us, but especially those of us in the marketplace, mind your own busyness. Busyness is grounded in the assumption that you can control the future. If you can just work a little more, if you can just grind a little harder, then you can dictate what's going to happen next. It's boastful and it's hurtful. I think it's interesting that in the Chinese language, to create the pictograph for the idea of busyness, they take the symbol for heart and the symbol for killing and they put them together. And some of you are not bringing life but bringing death into the things that really are the most important to you because you're chasing a wisdom that is really foolish. Here's the thing, you're dashing through life instead of living your dash. But the day will come when what you have missed won't be foggy. I remember an interesting article I read by a woman named Bonnie Ware. Uh, she's a palliative nurse. What she does is she takes care of people in the last stages of life, in the last 10 to 12 weeks. And she would engage her patients in really meaningful conversations. And what she noticed was that so many of them were filled in their last days with regrets because they had not made their days count like they wished they had. And she wrote about the five regrets she heard the most. Here they are. One was, I regret that I didn't have the courage to be my real self. I spent too much of my life trying to be what the world said I was supposed to be. Uh, another regret, I worked too much. And by the way, she said every male patient she had said that. Another regret was that I didn't deal honestly with my feelings. And she said a lot of people she worked with died with feelings of resentment, and bitterness that actually, in some cases, even exacerbated the illnesses they had. Another regret people had, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Because when you are at the very end of your dash, your goal is not going to be to see who in the cemetery has the biggest will. You're going to know you were rich if you had a lot of people that you loved. And then finally, I wish I'd let myself be happier. 
And she noticed that in the last hours, many people confessed, I really could have chosen to have been a happier person. That I got stuck in habits and attitudes that I wasn't willing to break. And a lot of the misery of my life was my option. You know, the day's coming when you are going to have phenomenal clarity about what counts. But my prayer for you is that you have it now and not then. And so, um, in a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And after that prayer, on every campus, we're going to praise the Lord. And during that time of praising, I'm hoping that you will have the courage, if you feel God calling you to do so, to, to go public with what He's putting on your heart. It might be in the act of baptism. It might be just uh, in the act of confession or, or just in the act of, of vulnerable honesty where you just pour out where you are and how you need help. Uh, and that's going to happen right after I pray. So I'm going to ask you everyone now to stand up. Every campus, if you're on one of our response teams, would you uh, take your places? And I'd like you now to bow your heads. And I want you to start this prayer with me. I, I just want you to bow your head right now. And I want you to ask the Lord to put on your heart right now one thing about the future that you have arrogantly been trying to control. And I want you to humbly surrender it to God and say, God, I can live today. I can't fix tomorrow. And ask God to restore joy. Okay? Do that. It's going to take courage. But I want you to do that right now as we bow our heads. And Father, I'm, I'm asking now in the powerful name of Jesus that you would give all of us the honesty it takes to admit that sometimes we try to sneak onto your throne. Sometimes we think we can't exert our sovereignty. And it hasn't blessed us, God. It's brought us worry. It's brought us frustration. It's cut short relationships. It's cheated us of things that matter most. And so, God, today, at some level, we all repent. And we ask you to remind us that life is short, life is precious, life is a gift, and give us the wisdom to embrace and, and seek and live the joy of each moment as we see you in and around every day. Oh God, we need to be guided by wisdom from above. Fill us with your spirit for Jesus' sake. Amen. It's your time now. This moment. Please come.